Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Cherry. And I'm Mike Peters. We're your sound only co-hosts here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about the millennial lifestyle, anime, video games, hip-hop, R&B, television. About this- Pedro Pascal's accent. Yes. And all the various Instagram reels in which he now constantly appears. <laughs> um, I feel like, okay, Micah, how about this proposal? This week, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, First of all, we know that there is a contingent of listeners who are are preparing to email us at soundonlypod at gmail.com about Donald Glover and the new Amazon Prime series, Swarm. We will get to it. We'll get to it eventually. We'll talk about Swarm at some point. Not this week. Um, not today. Not today. The stars can't do it. Not today. Not today. We will get to it. It's Yes, it's on our calendar. We'll talk about it. That said, right now, a lot of balls in the air. Resident Evil 4 remake is coming out next week. Uh, that's the main thing I give a shit about this week. Don't talk to me about nothing else. Except <laughs> this week, we are also... Micah, I feel like we need to book in, I guess, The Last of Us Season 1 is done, right? Yes. We're yes. getting a Season 2 that's going to be based, and maybe even a Season 3 that are both based on The Last of Us Part 2. And then, of course, Succession is back. Two shows that we've talked about in the past, that we both have a lot of thoughts about. Um, and I'll talk a bit about, I guess, the Resident Evil 4 demo on the back end of this for the gamers who listen to this. But TLOU, let's yes. start there. Let's start with the past and look at the future with Succession. TLOU, what is your final verdict? Um, I think the that my final verdict on... TLU lines up pretty closely with that of Spencer Cornhaber from The Atlantic. He was talking about how The Last of Us kind of couldn't escape the the narrative, uh, like the narrative bind that the original game got itself into. And the thing is, is that um, if you were on the internet at all after the finale reading some of the reactions to the eventual action that Joel takes um, 
I mean, like, spoilers about to come for that yeah, story go ahead. again. Yeah, yeah, that's 10 years it. old. Yeah, yeah, like, anyway, like, at the very end of the game, you know, we always knew that we were going to have to extract the cure out of Ellie somehow. And, you know, doing bloodletting and rubbing her arm on people is not the way that it was going to work. So. <laughs> That's they funny take to their... think about. That's a funny <laughs> you know, image. It's like you Bella know what I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, like, that scene started happening, and it's such a, like, it is a, such an emotionally charged scene. Like, when it's her and Sam sitting on that shitty bedroom in the, uh, sitting on the shitty bed in the, in that, you know, one little hovel that they've managed to ferret out amongst, you know, the swarming infected and all this other stuff. And, they get a chance of normalcy. They play games. They tell each other jokes. and But then they realize that Sam is infected. And, you know, like, he's just like, hey, will you stay awake with me? I don't want to die. And it's really, you know, heartrending stuff. But when Ellie cuts herself and tries to rub it on Sam's open wound, I let out the biggest laugh. Like, it was like, I like it was, it's like not a moment that calls for this. And I was like, I found nothing funnier. It was just like, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> anyway, um, the trip, the lone wolf and cub journey leads us to Kansas City. And the uh, clandestine medical facility that the fireflies are running and Turns out that the only way to get the cure for Ellie is to graft cells off of her brain stem or something. There's a lot of like there's 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 big words and equivocations around it, yeah. but it's pseudoscience. You know, Ritsko and her fucking science. <laughs> Ritsko, Ritsko and Kagi. Ritsko and Kagi is alive. Yeah. So Marlene is just kind of like you know telling Joel like, "Hey, sorry we had to split you up. Sorry, we, sorry our guys had to jump you with a flashbang outside of the hospital, which is how this encounter starts. They split Joel and Ellie up." Ellie's taken away somewhere we know not where. Joel wakes up and he's just like, where's Ellie? And Barley is just like, hey, I'm sorry. The only way to get the cure out is that she has to die. I've made this decision for the both of us and everyone else. Um, these guards will escort you to the exit. Realizing that the bond between him and Ellie has grown like much stronger and more... It's, weirder than paternal at yeah. this point. He turns around and slaughters the entire hospital and carries Ellie out and tells her a lie about how there was no cure. Like they've they've tried this with other kids like you and like they just died and you know there was never any hope to begin with. Um and the game itself ends with the one really distinguishing shot of you know, like Ellie looking down at her shoes and then back up at Joel and accepting his story as true and saying, okay, but there's an entire world of doubt going on beneath that, which, you know, will be explored in season two. Right. Um, but like, just like when the, like the game was over, like in 2013 and there, like there was ethical and moral questions about whether Joel was right. And did Thanos have a point type discussions about him, you know, killing off effectively the last hope of immunization, you know, because, 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 because Ellie deserves, um, 
you know, a normal life, but no one has one of those anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but these discussions played out along like, you know, very predictable lines because they, they're the exact same discussions we were having a decade ago. But now with a lot of people that write about TV that never played the game and it's just all very cyclical and demonstrates the limits of like what the show could be, which we knew from the outset, really. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I actually think I harbored and I don't know why sort of despite myself, I harbored this dim hope that maybe the show would do a kind of final fantasy seven remake type thing where for the first 90% of it, you're like, I'm playing a remake of final fantasy seven. And then the last 10 the last 10% is, hey, this is actually a time-traveling metaverse like sequel to the original <laughs> Final Fantasy VII in the spirit of some Kingdom Hearts bullshit, right? Like, I was hoping it would pull a kind of Tetsuya Nomura and, like, actually, the decision is different this time, and then it's going to be this butterfly effect. You know, I, I harbored some weird hope like that because you're right. Otherwise, it is kind of, yeah, the ending of the first the last of us is is really good and sticks with people but like i saw it you know 10 years ago yeah it's just like here we are again i like and you know it's it had its sort of occasional nods to to the series the game the the video game series that birthed it i mean like troy baker you know made an appearance in the eighth Mm -hmm. episode um, I think both it's both Troy Maker and Ashley Johnson. Yeah, Ashley yeah, Johnson yeah. turns out to be Ellie's mother. Um, mm-hmm. in in the final episode, but those are like Easter eggs. Yeah, like the, yeah. the 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 limit of this the limit of the show was always Easter eggs. Yeah, I I feel that, and yeah, I still maintain that. That's that's kind of good enough for TV, right? Like, and that's kind of the thing, right? I, I think as much as like I ended up writing this this piece by the end of the season, I wrote this piece kind of looking back, right, on sort of okay, this show was a success. What what have we learned from its success, right? In terms of agonizing about people adapting video games and also about the sort of cinematic DNA of The Last mm-hmm. of Us, right? And yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I think the show is good. And I think one thing, even though people often make fun of the kind of, this is a video game that always wanted to be a movie. This is a video game that never wanted to be a video Those game. Those people being us. Us, right? But others too, right? But one thing I actually think is kind of interesting, right? Is that it's not like, as much as I'd say that stuff about The Last of Us, The Last of Us isn't pretentious. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, it is like a zombie. It's a zombie show. It's a zombie show. And... It's got a lot of pathos to it, right? But as much as it's good at being critically acclaimed and having sort of better than average writing for a video game, it's also a thing that is not... Again, it's, it's sort of to the point I said a few episodes ago, comparing it to Station Eleven. It's not doing what Station Eleven is trying to do, where Station Eleven is trying to galaxy brain itself it's, into being prestige. It's like... Well, it's, I mean, it's like, a sweet spot. I think The Last of Us hit a sweet spot of being smart, but not like too clever by half about anything. And that's kind of what I respect about it. I think it's uh, like, (laughs) I think honestly, it's a show given appointment TV viewing 
sort of status, but functions like as a really well-made soap. Like it's just like mm. a really good, like, I mean, like there's, it's, there's, it's, it is a drama in which the worst possible thing happens at every given turn. Um, and we are supposed to meet these things with not just surprise, but also understanding. And like, I think that, I don't think that, like, I think that where the show succeeds is that it doesn't ever like, you know, with the exception of Rain Wilson pointing out on Twitter that we need more, um, God fearing characters in TV that mm. aren't inherently evil. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, show was yeah. like, it, it didn't really although it had like all these accoutrements, all these things that it pulled in from um, not just the game, but things that made it current, like based upon, you know, life during the pandemic or whatever, they never seemed like the point. I guess it didn't have anything larger that it wanted to be about like Station Eleven did. Right, right. But I think in this case, that was kind of to its credit. Um, yes, yeah. I think it was to its credit. Like it never got too big for its britches. To me, I don't know. That's how I think about it. I am curious about. Um, I haven't played The Last of Us Part Two. I've watched a lot of The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, I don't think I'll play it until I actually go back and play the. I guess the remake of The Last of Us Part One. I'd rather. I want to do that. I want to play the sort of The Last of Us Part One, the game released in twenty twenty two, before I play Part Two. Yeah. Um, the yeah. second one, like the plot of it, just like seems more so, and like I mean, like if there were all these the 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 promo images of Joel and Ellie on a horse, and like you know he's got his his repeater slung across his back, and like you know he's got his acoustic guitar that has the 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 moth emblem on it, and he likes to play. Waylon Jennings and all this other shit, but like the real Western is the is the Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, because like, yeah. it's just a revenge flick. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and that's actually okay. The second game, the second game, I'm convinced that they have to pull a Tetsuya Nomura or something. Because one, the, the 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 sequel, right? The second game is definitely way more divisive than the first game, right? Yes, and it's also just that the second game goes to such a dark place so many times that that's something I, I have to imagine that Druckmann, even if Druckmann at this point has like learned how to sort of screen out a lot of the more Aggie uh, response to the last of us part two, the game, I feel like he's, he, they have to take an opportunity to maybe try to get a different response than that game. got. let's put it like that. Right. Cause that, that game is just, that game just seems so depressing and like a buzzkill and I don't I don't know what's gonna happen if they stick to the script with the second game like do you do you feel what I'm saying yeah I absolutely get what you're saying because I mean like I didn't really know what was gonna happen if they stick stuck to the script with the first one like I mean and it already is like a depressing show it is a trudge of a watch like it is like well it's a I trudge mean, of a watch but also there's a giraffe Right, and it feels like the second game. Okay, there's okay. no giraffe. 
No, 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 no. Also, there's a giraffe in episode ten. I yeah. mean, nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know true. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. let's 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 have perspective and yeah. not recency bias on this here. Like, what I'm saying is that, like, they're like the game even. Like it was was less depressing than the show be, for the things for the reasons that I've laid out because of the way that Pedro Pastel plays the Joel character because of the cachet he like it's like more beholden to the cachet that Joel that Joel Miller has versus like how the character actually was or like what their rapport was in the game. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like even aside from all that, tying it back from like not to, you know, continue tying it back to the video game that made it. Like, the, the reaction to the second game is divisive for reasons that escape me. Because you know what game you played in the first place. I don't really get, like, I, like, I don't really get, like, the vitriol around Last of Us Part Two. Well, part of it is like anti-SJW people being like, I, I feel like there are people yeah, well, who they kind need of invented to shut up and political, political yeah. grudges. Like, like there's an, yeah, I feel like people had a political axe to grind against that movie for yeah. a variety of reasons, like stuff characters say, the fact that there's millions a mean of nerdy voices <laughs> cried out and we don't understand the Bechdel test and we're suddenly ignored by everyone else who is going to watch the second season of the show no and matter what. To to that point, like I remember before, like right when the show was about to start airing, I just remember seeing pockets of gamer discourse like about to black out on Bella Ramsey for being an NB. And it's just like, okay. Like, it, you know what I mean? It felt like that was the flavor of back to some, that was the flavor of some of the backlash to The Last of Us Part Two. It's just people who sort of worked themselves up into this kind of pseudo political, like, yeah, I, said, I, 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 I anticipate like that happening again you know, when they cast the second season, but I still expect it to be largely faithful to the original story of the second game. Um, one, because I don't really expect that they're like, how much imagination can you, how much imagineering can you do on top of the last of us part two as like a story? Yes. It's very deep and like it get, goes to very dark places very soon and, you know, introduces occultists and, you know, other types of religion that may have cropped up out of like this post-apocalyptic wasteland and all sorts of other weird shit. That isn't really that weird when you think about it because like every 10th thing on the tile of your preferred streaming service is a show about Waco. Like, so... (laughs) I'm I'm being for real. Like, I mean, like, it is... Everybody needs to chill the fuck out, basically. (laughs) Oh my God, Jesus. Um, that was real talk. Uh, wait, you know what? Okay. I feel like we've said what we have to say about The Last of Us. I was going to save Resident Evil 4 for the end, right? You know, after we talk about Succession. I actually kind of want to talk about it now real quick um, before we talk about Succession, just because Resident Evil 4, right? For people who listen to this pod, who either sort of know what gaming was like around the time The Last of Us was out, or who don't know and are just, you know, they've really gotten into the show and they're they're sort of learning all about the context for The Last of Us, right? It's sort of like The Last of Us is one of the many children of the original Resident Evil 4. So Resident Evil 4, um, Resident Evil obviously like 
horror survival horror game very popular very popular movies that are bad but popular and it's like it to me there's something fateful about the fact that the last of us adaptation came out around the same time that there's this re this remake coming out of resident evil 4 because resident evil 4 right all the all the shit we've talked about with the last of us being this very kind of like pathos driven abnormally well-written video game right the the other side of the coin is Resident Evil 4, right? Which is the stupidest fucking <laughs> just the just the dumb dumbest shit. Just classic like Look at the way the main character is dressed. Yeah. Why are you the in leather. the situation that you're in? <laughs> in Spain, he doesn't speak Spanish. You know, cultists have kidnapped the president's daughter. Are you bad enough to save the president's daughter? It's like that kind of game. And it's like, yeah, man, if you want to understand, you know, it's the classic the two genders meme. Like the two genders of early 2010s gaming. Uh, or it's not early 2010s. You're right. Because it's like the last, the, the last of us is 2013. Resident Evil 4, right? Which sort of births games like The Last of Us is 2007 on the GameCube, right? The two genders, man. If you liked The Last of Us, may I recommend that perhaps you play <laughs> the Resident Evil 4 remake <laughs> or the original <laughs> Resident Evil 4, which has been ported to every video game platform known to man. Uh, the Resident Evil 4 remake is, like, frankly, the only thing I give a shit about that's coming out this month. Yeah, uh, we're, yeah, we've 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 tried to give you Sir Lawrence Olivier fighting off zombies. And yeah, now can we direct you to Shaun of the Dead? Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, just a game full of one-liners and nonsense and innuendo. And it's like, it's like the last gasp of kind of arcadey-ass single-player video gaming, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know. To me, it's like The Last of Us and Resident Evil 4 really are of a piece that it's like those things combined are sort of the, the twin key cards of my childhood in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I never took to the thing myself. It, it kind of pissed me off that I couldn't have my gun out and move at the same time. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, yeah. That's the class. That's the Resident Evil style, man. You got um, trade offs, trade offs, limitations. Uh, um, you can suplex niggas. But, I, you can but I, but I, but I hear tell with this remake, you can actually move very listlessly to the left or right while while aiming. Um, and I also saw some other footage. Of uh, like a zombie getting like a like a their, their chest piece caved in by a pump shotgun, and I was just like, hmm, maybe I need to play this game. <laughs> yeah, that's like the weird innovation of Resident Evil Four is that like Leon, because in all the games you're shooting zombies, but like Leon is always styled as this guy who can shoot people in the chest with shotguns, but also do these like insane corkscrew kicks, but also like quarrying <laughs> from Tekken. Like, yeah, it's... right. That's it. That's it. So he has like a Tekken move set on top of also having <laughs> a grenade launcher. And it's incredible. Like that's the game. If you want to play Tekken, but also resident evil, may I recommend the resident Evil for remake. Uh, the dev the demo for that game gave me high hopes. Uh, no one texted me for two weeks. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, Succession. Succession is back. Can we talk about Succession? I finally caught up. We had ta- you and I had talked about season three, right? But I think like maybe through the first half of season three, and I finally caught up on Succession and ended up writing about it. And this is the season that's coming out is the fourth season and it's the last season, right? It feels like that kind of has to be the case, right? Because Succession... Lots of shows. I mean, Alison Herman wrote about this, right? About stasis and succession and, you know, how sh- how shows always have to juggle, like, there being sort of dynamism to whatever is going on from season to season. But also, your show needs to be, you know, your show has some central DNA, right? And succession is kind of the same show in season three that it is in season one, which is like Logan Roy and his dipshit kids, you know, fighting for control of this company. Um, well, I would actually like to quibble with that a little okay, bit. Okay, go ahead. Because, I mean, if you remember our discussion about Succession Season 3, it's that it kind of, while it still had the DNA of the of the show from the first season, it was like sort of cobbled underneath the strange, self-referential, ironic air of like the no-context Succession meme account. Like, it's like the show was made for that in the third season. Like, it's sort of aware, too aware of its audience in the third season. For me, anyway. Because in the first season when you're watching it, it feels like... And I mean, like, there were a lot of, like, haughty claims about it being like the best ever dissection of the 1% of the 1%. And it felt vaguely like it was a documentary, like the way that it was being shot to the way that you were meeting each character or the way that you were moving through rooms and everything else. Um, like the frankness of the comedy was in like purely like, it was situational. Like in the rest, like in a third, it just seems like we're manufacturing situations to have really good quotables. And I mean, like, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with either approach because it, the, this, the show is still incredibly watchable in the third season and I'm going to be right there for the fourth. But, yeah. yeah. But it just didn't, like, it didn't have the Jenny saying Quan of the first season, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's like, I think. I will say I do think the second half of the third season gets better about the stuff that you're talking about. I'm thinking specifically of when they go to um, like that Republican, that conservative summit in Richmond where they're basically picking the next Republican nominee for president. And 
in the finale with the sort of reverse jujitsu acquisition of the big tech company and Waystar Royco and all that shit. And I thought that, I, I thought those episodes did a better job of kind of interrogating, I want to say, especially Logan. Like, I, I like that the finale is kind of what felt like the first time the show slowed down and is like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? Like, why the fuck is, why, why won't he give the company to his kids, right? The scene where he, they, the, the, the Swedish guy basically makes Logan admit that he's not excited about the future, right? And that's like, oh, right, that's who this guy is. This is a guy who has this, this like weird sort of dystopian outlook on America and all of his faithlessness and his kids derives from that. And it's like, they put him on the couch, right? As George W. Bush once famously said, right? They put Logan Roy on the couch in a way that felt novel and felt like a step forward in a show that is otherwise kind of always the same show. I do you just think, quote Bush. I, I quoted <laughs> on the 20th anniversary, the 20th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. I've quoted George Bush. I think it's because I was like reading like a retrospective about the Iraq war. And I, think I just had that George Bush, that George Bush aphorism in my head. God damn it, W! Don't don't That's email good. us at suddenly <laughs> Um, um but you know, but I do, I do think the first, yeah, you're right. The first half, definitely. The, the shit with like Z-Way and all that stuff where it's just like, I, yeah, I the first half of season three, I still resent because it's just like, it it's too, uh, to say, to bring up a phrase I, I used in the Last of Us combo, it's like too clever by half a little bit. And too much of the Kindle stuff feels like it's a bit, you know, and you yeah. get it. Yeah, the Kendall is doing... And it's like, that's around the same time, too, that all the stuff in The New Yorker with him is coming out. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you know, like he thinks it was, he's Hamlet. Like, it was cool. Like, it was cool in the first season. Like, when you have, like, that bit in, in the second episode where he's listening to... Was he listening to... What was it? It was like... I don't know if it was NWA or... It, it might have been Biggie or something, yeah. It's something. like, And the thing is, he's gassing himself out with his big Bose headphones on <laughs> in the back of in, in the back of the rolls or mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. And despite having, like, all of the trappings and, you know, like... The, and actually, the note, the, the, the note that I made at the time was just like, it's so good how the sound goes from like background music over the whole scene, like as, you know, like the the garbage truck men are doing the rounds in the morning and the and the limo's passing by and he's in the back looking out the window to the perspective shifting to the driver and the music's only going on in his headphones and he's like mouthing the words as the song is going on. And it's just like one of those videos like where you see like Kendrick Lamar trying to rap along. I mean, sorry. Not Kendrick Lamar. LeBron James trying to rap on to Kendrick Lamar or Boldy James or some shit. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, this <laughs> is the like all of like look at how this? look at how God has smiled on this man. And he's still a loser. Yeah. Like this is like one of those like it was it was just like one of those things where I was just like, this is great television. Yeah. Like, but then it just gets stretched all the way out and there's too much Kindle. I, I do agree with that. 
Yeah, his the coup. I think that's the thing. I think the dynamic. It's really the dynamic in that season created by his coup. Is that so? It's so much of it is either Kendall and Kendall and his little faction of Dasha from Red Scare and Cousin Greg. And it's just like, oh, but that's too much Kendall. It's too much. There are too many stretches where I'm just like, I can't, I can't be alone in a room with Kendall for this season <laughs> of television. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I, I really like where that season ultimately went. And yeah, I don't know. There's something about this show. Help me unpack this real quick. Cause I, you remember I, like 10 years ago when anti, like TV anti hero discourse was a thing and people yes. just kept work like constantly working over from scratch the idea of like television characters who are morally gray right oh, and like, like men you know difficult men behaving badly yeah, yeah it's like post breaking bad post really post sopranos right it's like post sopranos discourse and it just felt like we were scandalized for a solid 10 to 15 years and then succession comes along right and succession is it's like to me i think by now especially right succession has gone it's it's gone so far beyond the idea of even the anti-hero and it's just like oh all of these people should be shot. Like, all of these people should be executed on television. Like, I, yeah, it's just like, there is, I still, it is singular in, like, in this quality of being full of characters that I think should be trussed up and me still tuning in every yeah, week. right, right. <laughs> and it's like, that's the thing. It's like, they, it's no longer, you can't even think of it anymore in terms of likable or unlikable it's sort of like it's Schrodinger's antihero. They are simultaneously likable and unlikable, right? Like, and I think the, to me, the sort of Rubicon for succession is when I realized in season three that I frankly don't even like Greg anymore. Like I, I feel disgusted even just looking at scenes with cousin Greg, like the whole thing with him dating up you know, and he's like, he he's like, yeah, he kind of has like, an in with Comfrey. Get this out of here. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just like, like, oh, the sleaze is like, the sleaze has corrupted him. And I'm just like, man, the writers on this show have done what feels like a paranormally good job of, like you said, making me actually despise every single character on this show whilst, well, while, while still never being taken out of it, I guess is what I mean, except for the stuff I'm saying early in season three with Kendall, right? I mostly still am like, oh, it no, always seems like they're basic, like these are terrible characters that you want to see punished, but like as punishment starts, the acting also starts. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, because also yeah. like half of these, half of these motherfuckers are Shakespeare actors. Yeah, like, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Like Brian like, Cox. <laughs> yeah, Brian Cox is King Lear. Like yeah, I mean, uh, like there's uh, like okay, so it's that, but also comeuppance is always right on the cusp. Like it's like it's right there, and we are we are it's this teased. close to it. Mm-hmm. It's just like you know. Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z who, like, you know, wh- <laughs> how the these. other shoe is gonna drop. Yeah, and it's an effective way of telling a story about these specific kinds of characters. Yeah, I I do wonder how the show ends, right? Because the show, I think, up you know, in the previous seasons of Succession, I feel like the writers have been very good at. I don't know. It's. It is underrated how hard the task is of writing a show where the the nominal premise, right, is this succession, this sort of manufactured succession crisis. 
that kind of doesn't that always kind of ends in a draw every season, right? Yeah. And it, it's sort of like you're not rooting for anyone necessarily. And this is a show that is really loath to give anyone anything that they want. But it's also not, it's not like this is a show written by the staff of like Jacobin Magazine, right? It's not like, I, I don't think they, I don't think the show, on the other hand, kind of gratuitously kind of is like, it's only so punishing of the characters, I guess is what I'm going to say. Like part of how it minds that tension of like tension of punishment always being just around the corner is because it knows sort of, it's calculated mathematically to extreme precision, like how much punishment to met out to the characters in any given episode without just being a kind of like, you know, like a left-wing fantasy of how we ought to treat the 1% or like what these people deserve. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm curious whether the show will end in a morally yeah. gratifying way or, or, or a tease, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I like I it is really crazy to have a show like this that doesn't feel prescriptive. Yeah. Yeah, you know that's that's what I was trying to say. You said it. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Right. It's like contemptuous of its characters and yet it does not feel like basic and prescriptive and kind of yeah, morally like normative, I guess. Um, yeah, I, like probably just because each of these characters despite them being horrible, is a rich tapestry of horrible. Especially Roman. Yeah, especially Roman. Roman is maybe the one. Even though Roman is also the most grotesque character on the show. Roman (laughs) and Jerry's thing, like, has, I mean, like, has has forced me to learn some things about people. Yeah, yeah, bro. I would also say, I would argue, like, Roman's the only character, low-key, who has enjoyed real conventional character development. Because if you think about Roman in the first season of the show, Roman, he's like, he's so countercultural, right? He's so countercultural and libertarian. But in the first season of the show, that dude is constantly at the office. Like, if you really pay attention, he spends so much time at the office and he's playing dad's little game. Just being seen. Yeah. Like, he's like, (laughs) he, he wants it as much as Kendall does. He's just too ashamed to want it as much as Kendall does. But then by season three, it's like, this dude is just showing up to work for shits and giggles, dog. Like, he's just showing up for feet pics. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that dude, he's like at least liberated in a, in a weird, obviously perverse way that at least feels like, I don't know. You can at least look at Roman and be like, ah, this is probably the best you're ever going to get this guy to be. This, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is the best you can hope for with this dude. Uh, you know, it's all downhill still with like Tom and Greg and them. But at least Roman, it's like, yeah, I mean, he could find inner peace. I don't know. I like, yeah. And Tom, man, like, I, okay, I watched a recent like thing. It's a Netflix movie called Operation Mincemeat. Have you watched it? Uh, anyway, Operation Mincemeat has, like, they, Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden have a similar, like, you know, like, well, I, like, you could get it, you could get it type of thing that goes on with him and Greg, like, where it's just kind of like, we both need the same pat on the head from the superiors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
and uh, you know, like probably yeah, the tone the tone of the movie is a little bit all over the place given the subject matter, but it is a good you know couch and popcorn movie if you're looking for something else with Matthew McFadden to watch, in which he's actually kind of good. I mean, I might put it on in the background while I'm playing Resident Evil Four Remake, but uh, that said, I will say I hope Succession ends with Stewie winning somehow because you know what I mean. It's like that's Stewie. If Stewie wins. Right, Stewie manages to fuck it up and just like he he and Sandy Furnace are in charge of the company. It's like the perfectly like everyone loses. It's like one one thing I did <laughs> it's when I was like writing brand becoming the <laughs> like becoming the ruler of the whatever realms and, and, and Game of Thrones is just like brand became the internet and then the king. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the way the way one thing I put it in writing about Succession is like yeah, Succession ends up being this show. Like if you think about those video games with more moral choice, right, and branching endings, and it's like Succession is a show where all the endings are the bad ending, and it's like if you're trying to calculate what is the worst ending in a show that's all bad endings, it's Stewie wins. Like that is what, I, and I think that's what I want. Money was, wins. But, yeah, yeah, it's just like, and not just money because it's all money, but it, it's like the most anonymized, cold, indifferent money wins, and that would be. If somehow Stewie and Sandy Furness outplay all of these people. And that's what I want to see. That's that's fucking how I want Succession to end. I'm not putting money on it. I'm not built like that. But that's that's where my head is at. Um, you got anything else about Succession? No. I I have I have precious little else about Succession. Uh, anything else about The Last of Us? Nope. Done with that too. Um, okay then. Listeners, email us as always at soundonlypod at gmail.com. Maybe next week we talk about Swarm. Maybe we talk about something else. I don't know. Swarm is, it's on the radar, like we said. How many, Micah, how many Glover episodes have we done? We're going to get a cease and desist. How many Glover? I have too many. Too I guess many. it's like, it's, yeah, we've, we've, we've done too many. Um, Swarm. Twitter bait, but sometimes a fish gotta eat. <laughs> I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Shouts out to our producer, Stefan Anderson. We'll see y'all next week.